Thank you everybody for coming um, to this town hall meeting. My name is Dr. Liu. Um, I am a community member. I've lived here for four years. I'm an OBGYN. I, I don't work at Rehoboth McKinley Hospital. Um, I really appreciate all of you coming out. I know that there's been a lot of concern about um, the state of our hospital, and that's what we're here to talk about today. So I just, I did have a PowerPoint, but I think we may not be able to um, get that up. But I do want to just talk a little bit about the history of our hospital. And here to do that with me is Dr. Kathy Mezoff. So let's start by setting a context. Nestled among the Red Rock Cliffs at the edge of the Navajo Reservation, Gallup is a one-of-a-kind rural town. Within Gallup, RMCH is a unique community hospital with an 111-year history of mission and service. Through the ups and downs of those years, RMCH has been sustained by the love and dedication of countless people and by its ethic of caring. So I think that there are a few things to know about RMCH. It's a nonprofit hospital. There are about 60 beds. It's a pretty small hospital. Um, its properties and affairs are managed by a board of trustees. Um, the hospital is rented from our county, approved by county commissioners, and we, as, our ta as taxpayers, provide a three mil levy, which gives about one to $1.5 million to the hospital every year, basically enough to cover rent. Um, the hospital is a major service point for those who live in nearby Navajo Nation and Zuni Pueblo. About 60 to 70% of patients who go to RMCH are actually um, are Native American. And um, it is the only hospital in this area where people who cannot get care at IHS can seek um, hospital care. So this hospital is critical to the health of our community. Um, so despite its challenges, RMCH does actually have a few unique factors that position it to succeed, especially in the last couple of years. So, we have a number of staff who have been there for 10, 20 years who are long-standing, have deep institutional knowledge and um, a deep connection to the community. And in the last two years, um, the RMCH was actually able to attract a number of new talent, primarily based on the fact that it had started a um, family medicine residency. So through the strength of that and through the strength of, strength of the connections um, through that program, um, they, the hospital was able to recruit strong physicians who had trained at places like Contra Costa, which is a powerhouse in family medicine training, UCLA, UNM, et cetera. And we also, um, RMCH also gained Dr. Caleb Lauber, who is a well-respected local Navajo physician who was to start the community health program there. So these are folks who intended to stay in Gallup and to become long-term residents. So it's very clear, however, in the last year that there are several things that indicate that the hospital is being pushed closer to the brink of closure. So first of all, um, there is a nine point, this year there was a nine point, we are facing a $9.4 million deficit. So I don't have the graphic to show you, but um, if you pull up the, um, the financial data for the last several years, this is a significant downtrend from prior years. The second thing is that we have a one-star CMS rating. So the CMS rating is put out there as a measure of quality of the hospital. We have a one-star rating, which only applies to 6% of hospitals in America, and that is the worst rating that we could get. It doesn't mean that the care that you get is going to be bad, but it does mean that the, the, but this is problematic, especially because this particular measure is weighted towards consumer perception and consumer satisfaction. And so the fact that we have a one-star rating actually means that the community does not have very strong trust in this hospital, and that is a problem. What is also problematic is that when this was brought up at a prior board meeting in November, the response was the, um, this is supposed to be a measure that's supposed to help hospitals to develop um, implementation plans of 
around quality and to provide some metrics to see whether or not we're steering towards um, you know a better better care and the um, and as, as of now there hasn't been any such um, there haven't been any metrics or implementation plans um, discussed and last, we have an erosion of trust between management and the community. The public still has not received promised financial documents about the hospital or routine, um, a routine information about um, quality quality plans as I've, uh, yeah, quality plans. Um, there's also the issue of process of selection for board members. It's opaque. There's no avenue for community input to board members. And as a, at this moment of the seven board members that are seated, um, the two voting members are not from this community. And the one member um, who is from the community is the one that is appointed by the county. So, and then we have several empty seats. So, and then lastly, there is the issue of trust between the administration and the staff, which um, Dr. Mezov was at RMCH for 20 years, and I will let her talk a little bit about how that, um, how that has eroded over the last year. So now under the pressure of the pandemic, as well as the management, mis as well as management missteps, RMCH is facing a serious viability crisis. The strong core of long-term nursing and provider staff who actively participated in previous RMCH administrations for the past year has been sidelined by the current administration. Trust and communication have been seriously impaired as the nurses and providers saw the safety of patient care undermined by poor staffing and inadequate equipment, daily requests to the department directors and CEO for help went unheard. This problem was particularly acute on women's health where the staff, who called themselves work sisters, initially did its best to cover for and care for each other until their own mental and physical health declined and they resigned last December. Resigned from the RMCH that they loved and were called to serve for the sacred task of assisting in childbirth. The Women's Health Unit was closed briefly this fall and is now staffed by traveling nurses who are not part of the community and do not know the culture. So I think what we're trying to do here, if you look in the packets that you got when um, you walked in the door, one of those documents is the a statement of the mission and the core values of RMCH. And that's something that we want to revisit because the fact is we have an amazing mission. We have, um, and we have amazing core values. And all of these core values, safety, stewardship, compassion, integrity, are all underpinned by community. So the RMCH community is our inspiration as we work together to serve patients, staff, and our diverse population. This united effort exists to build brighter future and a better society for the greater community. The fact is right now, between hospital leadership and the community, hospital leadership and the staff, the trust is broken and we don't have that. We don't have that united front to move forward. So this is what we're here today to discuss. Um, you know, what we want to elicit everyone's experiences that illustrate their concerns about the hospital, and we also want to elicit your ideas about how to move forward. So I'm going to hand this off to Kathy one more time because she um, called me this morning and said, I have this story that just illustrates so perfectly what it is that we have in our community that we need to value and that will help us help save our hospital. And then after that, I'm going, we have a guest speaker, Mr. Uh, Dr. Tim Putnam, who is on Zoom, um, and I will, um, Rachel, who is our moderator, will introduce him as well, but he'll give his thoughts um, about, um, he'll give his thoughts. So let me um, give it to you, Dr. Mesloff. 
Well, I found I had this story just come to my email, and it seemed uh, very apropos to um, RMCH. And it was called The Heart of a Community, The Rescue of Dan and Witt's General Store. Dan and Witt's General Store in Norwich, Vermont, had served the community for three generations. It had recently struggled with finding enough workers to fill jobs, and it couldn't afford to pay higher wages. Rural customers couldn't pay higher prices, unlike urban, urban centers. So when Dan and Witt's owner put up a help wanted sign, the inhabitants of Norwich knew it was bad news. After three generations, Dan would have to close the place down if he didn't get help. So what was he to do? It turned out that Dan didn't need to do anything. Word went out. Soon, Dan's customers began applying for the jobs. A local doctor took a shift at the register. A, a retired finance director applied for the deli counter. A nurse, a teacher, a psychology professor, a therapist, a school principal. Nearly two dozen customers have stepped up to stock shelves, do the inventory, and clean up the place so Dan and Wits can remain open. What happens to communities when important businesses close or abandon them often because some bean counters hundreds or thousands of miles away decide it's not worth the cost of keeping the businesses going. Capitalism's wondrous efficiencies leave out of the equation the high social costs of these actions. When asked why the people of Norwich stepped in to help Dan and Wits keep going, an employee said it was because Dan and Wits is the heartbeat of this community. Communities do have hearts. When businesses at those hearts disappear, more is lost than an economic asset. The community loses a place that allows it to be a community, to meet up, to exchange information, learn about common problems, or receive quality medical care. American capitalism is the harshest form of capitalism in all the world's advanced economies. It takes almost no account of social costs and benefits. Businesses swoop in and swoop out wherever and however profits can be maximized. Communities are different. They are, they are built on social capital, which often takes years to accumulate and cannot be cashed in. The critical importance of this social capital must be recognized and these organizations and businesses supported and patronized. I'm Rachel Cobb with Gallup Public Radio, here with uh, Operations Manager Emma Farley, who's doing our audio and video today. Dr. Tim Putnam is the former president of the National Rural Health Association himself a former CEO with over 20 years of experience running rural hospitals and has mentored, mentored other rural CEOs. He has a doctorate in health administration and chairs a number of organizations, including the Indiana Board of Graduate Medical Education. He was most recently the CEO of Margaret Mary Health, one of this country's more successful rural hospitals located in Batesville, Indiana. Mr. Putnam is currently serving on the White House COVID-19 Task Force on Equity. 
and is certified as an emergency medical technician as well, having been with the Batesville Fire and EMS Life Squad even while CEO. Well, thank you very much. Can everyone hear me or can anyone hear me? Yes. A thumbs up or just a... Yeah. All right, fantastic. Well, I, it's an honor to be with you guys today and, and help you out. As I, as I sit here in Indiana, we recover from uh, uh, tornadoes in the region in the Midwest here. Um, it just, it just um, emphasizes to me, as many of those tornadoes hit down in small communities, um, how important having access to local health care is. Um, you know, like in the introduction, I am a doctorate. My a doctor, my doctorate's in health administration, which ends, is is a real doc. I'm a real doctor, but not the kind that helps people. Uh, my training is focused on how to improve the healthcare system, and my focus has been really in rural. As president of National Rural Health Association, I saw um, one rural hospital close in this country every three weeks prior to the pandemic, and it was just it's heart wrenching. Um, so I. I really respect the work that you're trying to do to be able to bring your hospital together and help it thrive so it can be the heartbeat of the community. Some of the things I, I really want you to know from a leadership standpoint of, of a hospital, it is hard. It is very difficult work. Um, it's, it's one of those things you cannot just mail it in. It, it takes aggressive work every day to make a hospital viable. Um, so, so please, I understand frustration with leadership at times, but having been in that chair um, for a couple of decades, just, just realize it is a hard job with no easy answers. So much of it ties to the hospital has to be ready for anything at any time. So that cost of readiness is very difficult and very expensive. And many times what rural hospitals are paid is far less than what urban hospitals are paid. So this leads to the challenges. I think the answer and some of the things the best run rural hospitals are the ones that take a combination of things. One, local leadership, local involvement, trust in the community, how to build that trust, how to have boots on the ground. Um, you know, like in the introduction, I worked as an EMT uh, while I was CEO. It, it helped me understand what challenges were people were facing in the middle of the night when they have a 911 call. Um, and, and I think helped me be a better CEO at times uh, and deal with sleep deprivation other times. But, but still, I think it's being part of the community and everybody coming together, which is why I'm so happy to see you guys come together and say, what can we do to help our, our community hospital thrive and help our community thrive? I mean, state officials and national officials really can be of service. Um, you know, there's a long distance between you and anyone else. When a rural hospital struggles and doesn't isn't as good as what it can be, um, not only people in the area, the people that pass through an entire region uh, becomes economically very difficult to survive and, and, and it's very difficult to live in. So I, I think you have to realize that people in the state and people nationally, even outside your community, want your hospital to survive and thrive. Uh, and it's how to engage those. And that's when Dr. Lou reached out to me and said, you know, what can you tell us? What can you share from your experiences? I think there's a lot of people nationally, whether it's within the USDA, the Federal Office of Rural Health Policy, uh, the National Rural Health Association, the Rural Resource Center. There are 2,000 rural hospitals out there and, and many of them have struggled and they've been through challenges and they've 
they've come out of them and they have experiences to share. So I think it's that combination of realizing that a lot of the work is gonna be local and understanding your community, but a lot of it can be learned from individuals like, like myself who've been in New Mexico, but never had the privilege of being in Gallup. So I don't know what it feels like to be in your community, but definitely want to do what I can to be able to help you be successful. I think you look at a lot of things and a lot of programs and it was brought up about the residency program. And in Indiana, I chair the state graduate medical education board. So we're charged with expanding residencies. This I wanna kind of bring up as an example. First of all, it's wonderful that physicians in your community want to be part of residency program to train the next generation of physicians and be able to educate that next generation on what's important in healthcare. It's, it's also difficult from an administrative standpoint because it's such a long-term good decision, but it, we also know here in Indiana, every residency loses 40 to $50,000 a year per resident. So it's very difficult for the hospital to subsidize that when it's facing other financial constraints. Um, so th those are the things you have to balance and have to be able to work for, but, but that's kind of the give and take and what it takes in administration. I, I think it's vital that rural hospitals, especially yours in the geographic area that you are, uh, survive. One of the things on President Biden's task force that I, we just completed um, recommendations and have 55 primary recommendations of how to deal with health equity during the pandemic, one of them was to curtail the closure of hospitals, specifically those that are that are vital and essential. Uh, I think you have to look at programs like the Critical Access Hospital um, Program, the Federal Qualified Health Center and things like that, that help hospitals survive financially. They're, they're different programs and not everybody's familiar with it, uh, but there are people that have used them and used them successfully to be able to uh, to work, I, I think, I think the important thing is you you've got to work together to be able to help the hospital thrive. Uh, that's working with administration, working with state officials who can come in and and perhaps have access to resources that you're not aware of. Uh, getting people to understand how important it is to build that trust in your community hospital. I, I, I've dealt with it several times where an entire family will not come to my hospital uh, that I was CEO over because their grandmother died there 20 years ago and they relate the hospital to their grandmother's death. Well, we'd love to make every patient immortal and it's a, it's a loss when we when we lose patients, but sometimes in a rural hospital, you just you just can't avoid that. So. What do you do to come together to make everyone in the community feel like that is my hospital? Um, I need to step up and make it better. I need to make my voice heard. I need to be part of helping the organization thrive. I need to have the place that, that I want, I feel comfortable taking my children to, that my parents, if, if they have a concern. I, I want to be the hospital that people want to work at uh, and be proud of and be a part of making it better. So. That's what I really wanted to share with you guys. I'm glad to answer any questions that I can. And I, and I just want you to know you're not alone. So much of the work has to be yours. It has to be boots on the ground, but there are people nationally, and I'm certain there are people in the state that want to see you survive and, and want to see the hospital thrive and are willing to be able to help any way we can. 
Thank you, Dr. Putnam, for your words. I just wanted to let you know that we're going to budget a little bit of time at the end to ask him some questions. So as somebody who has worked at a rural hospital and run a very successful rural hospital, um, you know, if you have any questions about how we can turn our situation around and make it similarly successful, um, he's agreed to stick around and um, to answer some of those questions. But we'll do some of our um, testimony from the community first. And then if you have any questions, we'll, um, we'll walk up and down the aisles and hand out cards. You can write your questions on the cards and then we'll, um, we'll feed them to Dr. Putnam. Thank you, Connie. Good afternoon, everybody. Thank you for, for allowing me to speak to you today about uh, this gem of our community, Rehoboth McKinley Christian Hospital. My name is Beatrice Nunez. I've been a registered nurse since 1983. I was a nurse in labor and delivery for almost 38 years. I have been at Red Rock Clinic for the last year in the OBGYN department. I retired two days ago. The decision to retire was not an easy one. Each time I had a patient encounter, I was reminded of how much pleasure I get from providing nursing care to women, babies, and their immediate family. However, due to the uncertainty of the future of the obstetrical department at the clinic, I felt the time was now. As of yesterday, this, my vacancy that, that opened up when I retired has not been filled. Procedures that can only be provided by an RN will have to be provided in the labor and delivery department at the hospital. At this time, there are only four available rooms, so it is probable that patients will have to travel to other hospitals for their procedures that can be easily and efficiently provided in the clinic. There is also a very real risk that patients will decide to receive all of their care at other hospitals. Red Rock Clinic has been blessed with highly qualified OBGYN physicians. As of today, the last of those remarkable physicians will no longer be with RMCHCS. Their departure was based largely because of a lack of support and transparency by the current administration. These physicians were in this community because they chose to be here, because they want to provide care to this community and, they, and live among us as members of our community. Recruiting and training replacements for those that have left is a lengthy and expensive procedure or endeavor, excuse me. Retaining qualified staff is much, much more cost effective. As long-term employees leave, they take with them institutional knowledge that may never be regained. Money spent on administrators who do not live in the community should be spent on retaining valuable employees with decent benefits and competitive wages and much needed environmental improvements and equipment. Our financial situation needs to be addressed as well as the human capital. Recruitment, retention, and respect should be prioritized as a strategy for remaining fiscally sound. New leadership is vital to prevent further losses in human capital. Thank you. Thank you, Beatrice. I'm Rick Cruz. I'm a retired ER doc, and uh, as of July 15th, July 1st, I uh, retired as the EMS medical director for all the ground ambulance services in the county. Um, and I feel like, uh, you know, having these meetings is uh, really a, a positive move because it's uh, bringing us together to try to um, fix some things so that we can have a positive outcome uh, with this hospital. Uh, I want to focus my comments on uh, on the Board of Trustees, because I think uh, as a matter of trust, we aren't seeing what we've been told that we're trying to get as a 
community representation on the board. And, um, you know, so looking at why that is, um, I'll tell you an ex experience that I had, because it, it, it has to do with the way this board is structured right now. Um, a friend of mine applied to be on the board, um, and uh, he withdrew his application because he found out that to, before he could uh, be considered on the board, he had to be interviewed by the CEO. Um, but that's kind of a little weird, I think. Uh, the CEO influencing the decisions on who gets to be on the board that supervises him. Um, it's not in the bylaws. Uh, what it does have in the bylaws is that um, the CEO is on the governance committee that, uh, as a non-voting member, that um, recruits and uh, decides who, who can be on the board or not. Um, so that's a little strange. Um, I think they ought to change that. The other thing about that is they only meet once every three months. Uh, when we had that meeting with the county and the city, the um, president of the board said, Mr. McKernan said, we're real, trying really hard to get board members from the local community. Well, people have been uh, supported in ap applying and, and that's not happened. Um, I don't think I've seen any advertisements. Has anybody here seen advertisements for board members? It's not even on their website. Uh, in fact, it's really hard to find how to apply uh, to, the, um, to the, become a member on the board of directors. Um, you have to go to the tab careers, and then, it's, then the next tab is um, uh, join our team and then it comes up with an application for employment. Well, that's, that's your application to be on the Board of Trustees also, but it doesn't say that unless you look at what, what job you're applying for. So it's kind of a really strange thing. Seems to me that if you're really trying hard to get new board members, you'd have that on the front uh, web of the webpage or something like that, uh, advertising it. Um, so, um, I think that um, that's the main things I wanted to cover. Um, I don't think we should have the, uh, oh, and, and you know, I think, I think you know, uh, as Dr. Putnam was saying, trust is really important, and I would trust the outfit a lot more if we had these local people on the board, and we don't have a single person on the board right now that's uh, local. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Cruz. For everyone who doesn't know me, I'm Ashley Adams. I'll introduce myself first. Um, I've been a McKinley County resident for five years, living in Gallup for three years and through for two. Uh, my husband grew up in through. Some of you might know Josh Adams. Uh, he's been a county resident for about 30 years. Uh, my degree, my background is in business administration, and I used to work for a company called Aerocast International, which was an aerospace manufacturing company. Uh, and I worked in the quality department. So I love quality management. Um, now as one, is, as one who uses RMCH for my family's health care, I've noticed that sometimes the care is wonderful and other times it's pretty bad. So these variances in care all point back to poor quality management. So as a community member, I can complain about RMCH, which solves nothing, or I can try to help. 
I tried applying for a job in quality, but that went nowhere, I think because I don't have a healthcare background. So I spent six months completing prerequisites, then applied to the nursing program, got in, and I've been training at UNM Gallup for the past year. From what I've observed, doing clinicals and, and everything else, um, I think I have an understanding of what the problem is at RMCH and how to fix it. The way I see it, Mr. Conejo was really good at cutting costs and siphoned a bunch of money out of the company for himself. He was removed as CEO. Then the board hired CHC as a contractor to manage the hospital. They are also skilled at cutting costs. But that wasn't the solution to our problem because costs were already contained. I think the board hired the wrong contractor. To me, the way to get this hospital out of debt is to increase revenue. How do you do that? Improve your quality. This is true for any business, but especially this one. Thanks to patient surveys, RMCH currently has that one-star rating that uh, Connie was talking about, which means that CMS isn't reimbursing RMCH as much as it would if the quality rating were higher. Right now, RMCH is getting 50 cents on the dollar reimbursement for every Medicare and Medicaid patient that they're taking on. Um, from my experience, most quality issues stem from a lack of training and system design flaws. Seldom is the case that employees knowingly do the wrong thing. I don't think CHC knows how to improve quality. Every solution I've seen them implement to try to improve quality involves hiring it out to other contractors. I think Dr. Wangler can improve quality. She's already proven herself. Just look at the Family Medicine Residency Program. She had to attract, train, and retain employees. That was a success, and that is the method I think um, is what RMCH needs to do for the rest of the company to increase productivity, increase customer satisfaction, and decrease errors and all other waste. But as we learned earlier today, you need business knowledge to be a CEO. And I'm not sure what business knowledge she has. So here's a solution I came up with. Um, the board would have to decide to implement it, and they can use it or not, but I think it would work. It has three parts. First, I think the board should change CHC's contract from managing to consulting for the remainder of their contract and have a different CHC representative work with us, not Mr. Smithberg. I have no doubt that he could do this job as a consultant, but given the circumstances, I think it would be best for everyone involved if they sent us a new representative to work with. Second, I think the board should promote Dr. Valerie Wangler to CEO. And as she has questions about the business, preparing for audits and things like that, she will have the supports she needs. She'll have CHC, a new rep, to work with. And last, I think the doctors need to get rid of that labor union. With Dr. Wangler leading the company, they'll get everything they're asking for, so a labor union would be unnecessary. Labor unions take time away from the operation, and that costs money. It's an expense we don't need. As a community member, this is the arrangement I would feel the most comfortable with. So I hope this proposal reaches the board members and that they make some changes at their next board meeting because I want all this fighting to stop. It's impacting the entire community. And the board members are the only ones with the power to resolve this conflict. So I'll end with this. Profits and patient-centered care are not mutually exclusive. They're correlated and they'll rise and fall together. Thank you. It's, um, I did want to just try to provide a little bit of context because I realized in the beginning that we didn't do that. So the history of this hospital um, is that 
there was a CEO last year who resigned named um, Mr. David Canejo, who was forced by the board to, um, who was fired by the board of trustees essentially because of some financial um, mismanagement that was brought to light through a state audit. Um, so after that, they hired a CEO, the former CEO of UNM, Steve McKernan, to be a consultant, and under his auspices, he um, recommended that a management company called um, the Community Hospital Corporation, CHC, be hired. And with them, they brought um, a man named Don Smithberg, who is a CEO. And so this is the person who I think that we are largely seeing see as um, um, framing himself in an adversarial stance with the community and with the um, and with the, uh, with the community and with the staff. So just to give a little bit of context for those of you who may not know, okay. So I did, there is a comment from um, Steve Stortz from the chat. Um, he writes here that, um, having lived here for over 10 years and having had excellent care on the few times I've needed RMCH services, I have complete trust in the staff and doctors at RMCH. I do not like hearing the language I have seen from some of the administration, the lack of attention to the staff and doctors who are providing such professional care. I encourage the current administration to invest in local stakeholders rather than out-of-state interests. Okay. So um, the next speaker we have is uh, Ms. Mary Walker, who will be, um, she has a testimony on the Zoom. Um, so Mary Walker is um, a business owner here. She owns Weaving and Beauty downtown, which is a weaving shop, and they provide a lot of um, education and classes and support for the weaving community. So we can switch over to Zoom to hear her testimony. My business, Weaving and Beauty, teaches students from all over the world how to weave in the Navajo tradition here in downtown Gallup. Our students stay in town for a week, and they have a great time here. Some of them have returned over 10 times because they love our area and town so much. They put well over a million dollars into our economy. When you have that many people here, eventually some of them are going to need medical attention. And they've always gotten excellent care at RMCH if they've had to go there. Uh, I'm worried that the attrition of staff is going to jeopardize that. It's gotten worse over the past few months. I'm telling prospective students that they may find it difficult to get care if they need it. And the current administration and board have promised transparency, but they haven't demonstrated it. They don't live here. At least half the board members should be residents of McKinley County. The CEO should be a resident. The board and administration should be working to improve staff retention and to improve their one-star rating. Our community needs to understand what the plan is for the hospital, and we need to start finding alternatives if that plan doesn't meet our needs. Thank you. We're going to go on to some live speakers, and then when Dr. Shamasandra is available on Zoom, then we'll uh, go back to Zoom. I'm Gwen Wilson. I've been a resident of Gallup, New Mexico for 40 years. I worked for RMCH as a physician's assistant in um, both family practice and internal medicine for um, 25 years and retired in 2013. Much of what I'm going to comment on um, has already been said, but I'm going to reiterate it. I did write a letter to the editor of The Independent, uh, which was published last night. It's in the handout that you have, and you can review that because that does express um, some of my feelings. The one thing that I want to say is that I think that the providers 
and nurses that we have at RMCH at this time are all excellent. So I do not doubt the quality of the medical care that you will get if you go either to one of our clinics or to the hospital. What I do doubt is whether or not you can actually get an appointment, whether or not when you call in, the receptionist will answer the phone. The last time that I called to ask a question of someone at the clinic, um, there never came up an option for me to talk to a person. So finally I pushed the makeup an appointment number and no one answered, but they said they would call me back in 24 hours. Well, if in fact I need an appointment with my provider, 24 hours is way too long for me to wait for a return phone call. I spoke with someone in the audience today who placed a call for their provider. The call went to the provider's medical assistant. She's now waited a month for a return phone call. Um, I think that the issue there is that the medical assistants that work in the clinic have so many responsibilities that it is often difficult for them to get back to those phone calls that they need to make. So I am concerned about the adversarial relationship between providers and administration. Administration needs to be doing everything that they can to retain those providers and nurses that are presently working at RMCH. Rather than demand that providers be more productive, they need to ask how they can help the providers to be more productive. The chain of support staff is critical, and as I mentioned, the clinic needs enough receptionists to answer the phone. We need enough certified nursing assistants to room those patients, to return your phone calls, to follow up on abnormal lab things. Um, I think it's a shame that they now no longer have a single nurse in any one of our clinics. Nurses make critical decisions and perform very important functions. I remember that when I was still working there and a nurse received a call about a patient that needed to be seen, they could make a judgment that yes, this patient needs to be seen and they need to be seen today. And that nurse would come and she would grab onto my lab coat and hold on until I said, okay, okay, I'll see him. We don't have anybody there now who can advocate for the patients quite the way that our nurses were able to advocate for them. I think that the, the other, um, issue is that the administration needs to know why employees are leaving. I have spoken with several employees who have left the clinic. One of them volunteered or left the hospital and the clinic. One of them volunteered to do an exit interview and was never um, asked to come in for that. Um, another that I um, spoke with this morning said that they had an exit interview, but it was with a coworker and they described it as being essentially a joke. So if, in fact, administration or HR are not talking to people that are leaving, they're not going to have an understanding of what the issues are um, in the clinic and in the hospital. And I think that administration needs to step forward. They need to be getting exit interviews from these people. They need to find out why people are leaving. And they need to retain those people that we have because they are excellent. Thank you. Thank you, Gwen. Gwen brings up a really good point about um, 
about retention and um, staff. So we have noted over the last several months that many qualified staff, many long-term staff have left. And we know this happens in the context of a um, national situation where we have a national nursing shortage and many people and many hospitals find themselves in the situation. But what is concerning is that we find that many people, uh, may, many of the, these um, people who left, who we know very well, are leaving the hospital because they feel it's an, um, it's an, um, an adversarial environment, an unfriendly environment that Beatrice alluded to earlier. So because we've made repeated requests to the administration that have gone unanswered to do an independent review of why people have left, to talk about the exit interviews that may or may not have occurred, and we've talked to several employees who said that they have not had exit interviews, um, we will do one independently. So there will be, a, um, for all employees who are here, um, current and who have left RMCH, there will be a link to a survey on, at um, rmchsourhospital.org or the Facebook page, facebook.com backslash rmchsourhospital, so that we can collect our own information and come up with some of those answers. And again, I would take this uh, moment to thank Chris, Emma, and Pat, uh, who's running Zoom, for uh, handling all of these technical background tasks. Hi, I'm Hannah Palm for all who don't know me. Um, I guess I can officially say I'm a former OBGYN of RMCH. Uh, today at 8 a.m. was my last kind of shift um, at RMCH. Um, I moved here and started working in September of 2020 um, to work with Dr. Andrea Walker and to work in this community. Um, I can't say enough how um, extremely blessed I feel to have been in this community, to be in this community, to feel so welcomed and appreciated and loved and it felt very mutual. You know, I really love my patients. I love everyone I've worked with at RMCH and making the decision to leave was very, very difficult. Um, and, you know, trying to keep this more in a positive light, you know, looking forward, I, I, I'm staying in this community. My partner's moved up here. Um, we're trying to make this our community. Um, what I would really need to see in RMCH is a leadership that I trust. And that was really the biggest thing um, that drove my decision to leave, um, is that I just didn't feel like the, the leadership had the community at its forefront, um, and that patient safety was not something that was valued. Um, I, like many other people, had asked for an exit interview. Um, it took several times to finally get one, um, and I said these exact things to them as well, saying that I need leadership that I can trust, that puts the community first, um, and that patient safety is valued, and that communication with staff is also increased in, in that there's a lot of transparency, um, and I didn't really see any change um, after that. Um, I would really like to stay in this community. That's my goal and that's my hope. This is an amazing and beautiful community that I feel so blessed to be part of. Um, and that's all, thanks. My name is Joyce Graves. I've been a community member for about 38, 39 years and then 12, 13 more years out at Fort Defiance. Um, I used to say, and I still do, I love our hospital, I love our clinics, but it's getting very difficult um, to do things with the hospital. Um, the one thing I came here today to say was, I so appreciate these town hall meetings and getting the information that we're getting, but it's now time I wanna have an action item. 
And I so, I so appreciate finding those cards today, something for the community people to do. So if there are other people we need to call or write a letter to, please let us know. I think you have our emails or contact information. If we need to write a letter every week to these people, sooner or later they're gonna get tired of hearing from us and do something. Thank you. Hi everyone, um, my name is Kathleen Hennessy. I am Dr. Neil Jackson's wife, and uh, Dr. Jackson is a family medicine physician at RMCH. We moved here two years ago, and he's also one of the core faculty members at the Family Medicine Residency Program. So he wrote quite a lengthy statement that I'll just kind of give some highlights from, um, because a lot has probably already been said, but just to kind of introduce him. Um, he says, I am committed to ARMCH and our family medicine residency program, to my patients and colleagues, and to the community of Gallup, and my service for the past two years has um, demonstrated this fact. I'm sad that there remains a need to publicly testify on the terrible state of affairs at ARMCH, especially given that we have already done so in front of the county commissioners, city council, and rest of the community. Um, they, uh, they feel that the family medicine residency program is on the verge of collapse and that patient safety is not being taken um, seriously uh, and that a change in leadership is needed immediately, um, which is kind of a unanimous consensus from the colleagues at RMCH. Um, I'm going to focus the comments on the Family Medicine Residency Program and the leadership of Dr. Val Wangler, who is the program director and who really established the entire um, program, which was a great, uh, just a gr an amazing accomplishment, really, um, and the result of a lot of organizing over the past I think four years or so. So he says, our program director, Dr. Valerie Wingler, was recently chosen as the Physician of the Year by the New Mexico Society for Hospital Medicine, an amazing honor which she more than deserves. But when she was asked to present on the urgent needs of the residency to the board with a carefully prepared PowerPoint, she was cut off after her first slide, openly belittled for her advocacy for this residency and this community, and fully prevented from reporting on the current state of the residency. The CEO has declined multiple requests to meet with Dr. Wangler or any other faculty members and has refused to attend graduate med medical education committee meetings to openly discuss the future of the program, um, something he is responsible for. And most recently, oh, yeah, I'm just going to skip ahead. Um, we want to keep this residency open to keep our current four residents in Gallup to match a new class of residents this year and for years to come and to make a profound impact on RMCH and this region. We need a good faith partner in this endeavor whose words are supported in action, and interim CEO Don Smithberg has not been that partner. It is time for a change in leadership, and this leadership must be local, ideally a physician. If the RMCH board will not act on this, then the county must step in and rescind the lease for the hospital building. Thank you. Thank you very much. And now in queue on Zoom, we have Shriram Shamasunder, Associate Professor of Medicine at the University of California, San Francisco, and co-founder and director of the HEAL, H-E-A-L, Fellowship, which trains and transforms talented healthcare professionals to serve in resource-denied communities. 
the HEAL program has been working in the Navajo Nation for seven years. And now, uh, Dr. Shamasunder. Thank you so much for having me and uh, just listening in to this. And, you know, I am based in the Bay Area. We have been working in Navajo Nation for the last seven years. And so we work across Gallup and Chinle and uh, Fort Defiance and Tuba City um, and Shiprock. And so we're well, uh, we, we've just had a long partnership with a lot of the communities in Navajo Nation. And so uh, Val, just like the previous speaker mentioned, uh, we had been talking to her for probably two or three years before we started a partnership with uh, Rehobit and RMCH. And uh, we had really had OBGYN fellows that had thrived in a lot of different settings throughout Navajo Nation, and they were starting to stay in permanent jobs in Navajo Nation. So we started this partnership, and I myself took care of a lot of COVID patients in uh, Navajo Nation um, in the beginning of the surge. And so the partnership we were hopeful would be a strong partnership. The population was similar to GIMC. Um, the need was there. And we had a previous alumni of uh, HEAL that was working uh, full-time on the OBGYN staff. And just, so we came into this partnership really with uh, trust and hope that uh, that our fellows, our health workers would be supported and uh, would be able to work on behalf of the community and the patient population. And that just proved untrue over the course of the last two years. Um, the, the alumni that was on staff uh, at uh, RMCH uh, is a very, all, all of the health workers that are part of HEAL were very gritty, very like tough kind of uh, willing to be in difficult places and take uh, take care and work really hard. And RMCH burnt every single one of them out. Um, I think they were overwhelmed, under-supported. Uh, often the, the, the place was understaffed, which is understandable, but just having call like every uh, couple days uh, to the point where all of them that came in with really strong intentions and uh, and and not strong work ethic were burnt out. And some of the hospitalists that worked there felt that there was a lot of unsafe patient care when they tried to come to the administration. The administration um, scoffed at them, pushed them to get more uh, revenue, kind of turn over more patients. And so all of the providers that uh, we had at RMCH just felt really unsupported over their time and overwhelmed. and. Uh, felt like it was unsafe patient care. Uh, no matter how hard they worked, the administration didn't seem to support them. And then we had a, a, a part of HEAL. We also support local uh, health providers that are part of the two-year cohort. And one of our, what we call site fellows was fired uh, without any, uh, any reason really. And we weren't sure and we didn't get communicated. So like a lack of communication, clearly a lack of, uh, a leadership uh, that was supportive of patient care, uh, dangerous patient situations, and really burning out all of the health professionals that really have worked in, you know, Rwanda and other settings that are not easy. And RMCH uh, was was a facility that just was untenable from uh, any type of partnership, from a trust standpoint, from a patient care standpoint, from a burnout standpoint. So.
uh, that's that's kind of the, the lens that I wanted to share today. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Shamasunder. Before we move on, I wanted to invite Dr. Caleb Lauder up for some brief comments. Hi there, everybody. Uh, I'm Caleb Lauder, and I was um, terminated from uh, RMCH by Don Smithberg. I'm the only Navajo-speaking physician there. I had a number of Navajo-speaking uh, patients that now no longer had a physician. So it was quite devastating for me, and it was very personal for me when this had occurred. And, um, but overall, um, I want to send the message out that the strength of the community is incredible. The people here in Gallup are amazing, and I want you guys to be aware of that. Coming together like this is the key. Um, a shout out to all the individuals who have come together. We've been meeting, the community has been meeting, and shout out to Dr. Lou, Connie Lou, her husband, Dr. Hoover, um, Gwen, I mean, everybody, you know, even uh, Rachel and Emma here, and everybody involved. That's what it takes. And there are things that can be done in the community. There are things that still can be done and messages sent out to the county commissioner and the county managers. This is not lost, I want you to know. So we have a lot of strength, we have a lot of energy. I do want you to know that historically, CHC has a history of doing this to other places. I just contacted another physician up in Cortez who hired the management company of CHC and the same thing's going on. It's a disaster. So um, Don Smithberg had the previous um, issue of this going on in um, Louisiana and it, uh, there was a article in Modern Healthcare that says, ex-LSU hospital chief got credit card without okay. Don Smithberg removed as head of Louisiana State University public hospital system, obtained a credit card in the agency's name without permission. So there's a lot of this behavior that's going on. And when we try to hopefully make him understand, that's not gonna happen. That's why we have to be assertive, we have to be aggressive, and all of us can do a lot, and you guys have that power. We have that power. We need to gather together, become a collective group of individuals, and speak out. So I'm so proud of you guys. There's a lot that we can do, and I'm thankful that I was born and brought up in this area, and I'm still here, So, and I'll continue on in my endeavors as well. Thank you so much, you guys. Thank you, Caleb. Uh, before we move on, uh, I wanted to invite uh, uh, Connie up here, Dr. Liu. I'm hoping at the word of the point that if you have any questions um, that they've sort of formed in your mind, and in particular because we have Dr. Putnam here who has this sort of experience and can help maybe um, answer a few questions about how he did it, how he, because the hospital that he runs is one of the best rural hospitals in America, or used to run, until very recently, it was one, is one of the best rural hospitals in America. That is what we want 
and that is what we deserve, and that is what we can achieve, because we have the strengths here. We have an amazing community, we have strong staff, and we have things that bring people here to stay. So if you have any questions for um, Dr. Putnam, please raise your hand, and um, somebody can come around with a, um, a card, and, write, um, and you can write it down, and we'll pick it up. For folks on Zoom, please send your questions to the moderator. Thank you, Connie. And if John Pezoff might like to speak. All right, Kathy and I came here 1980 with two little kids. I practiced ophthalmology for 31 years. Did all my surgeries at RMCH. I retired a decade ago. Um, besides the issues of uh, financial stability and, and scientific uh, expertise, the real problem is trust. Trust between the, as, and it's been said over and over, trust between the administration and uh, the staff both ways, and trust between the hospital and patients. And as long as the trust isn't there, patients will go elsewhere and getting them back is very, very difficult. So we have to try to prevent Gallup from becoming a medical wasteland. Uh, thank you for your attendance, and I'm hoping that uh, something changes soon. Thank you, John. So the next speaker is um, Dr. Marcy Richmond. So she's a family medicine doctor who um, received her degree at University of Nebraska um, and practiced for a number of years before she came here to be join the residency program. She's um, OB trained, which means that she's sort of a family doctor superhero. She gets to she is able to provide for um, people from the spectrum from life to death. And so she wanted to share her thoughts because um, she really came here intending to stay and work with this community. And she really wants to um, see that she really wants to see this hospital succeed public health and I'm fellowship trained in perinatal and newborn health. I'm sorry I couldn't join you at the town hall. Uh, I'll be working day 13 of a 19-day stretch. I've worked at Rehoboth McKinley since August. I was inspired and recruited to RMCH after volunteering as a hospitalist during COVID last summer and particularly because I wanted to work with the amazing team of residency faculty including Drs. Wangler, Shaw, Jackson, Andrade, Chris Picard, and Drs. Lauber and Draper, who no longer work at RMCH, neither loss of which was desired by them. This group of people are the smartest, most dedicated, talented, compassionate folks I've ever encountered. Dr. Wengler was recently honored by the State of New Mexico Society of Hospitalist Medicine as Physician of the Year. My concerns involve the absolute hemorrhage of our staff. You have heard or will hear about resignations on every level. I'm constantly being asked to try to discharge patients, not because they're ready, but because of critical nursing shortages. We are also about to have a critical shortage of respiratory therapists who are absolutely vital to taking care of the ongoing influx of very sick COVID patients. And the reasons are pure management, not lack of willingness or availability. I and other providers are working weeks in a row because so many providers have been forced to leave. Administration wants you to believe that this is just a problem that small rural hospitals face everywhere. And of course, there's a kernel of truth to that, which is why the lie persists. But the problem is massively exacerbated by poor leadership. It's extremely clear if you bother to talk to anyone who resigns that they don't feel respected, they don't feel it's safe. Serious concerns are left unheard and unaddressed. People who do want to work at RMCH face barriers from administration with flimsy excuses about logistical barriers that could easily be fixed. 
Frequently, we get no response to attempts to communicate. Staff and medical suppliers are not being paid, sometimes for months at a time. We run out of essential supplies like gloves, um, and how can we expect staff to come to work for nothing? Recently, admin has engaged a new compliance officer. We understand the importance of compliance and, and agree that we need to be in compliance to keep the hospital open. However, this compliance officer told us that we could no longer have a residency teaching service on hospital medicine with no input from anyone on residency, faculty, or leadership. Her communications have made it abundantly clear that she has no idea what the teaching service does or that doing away with it would have serious implications on patient safety and would be a betrayal of our promise to educate our residents. She and admin have refused to communicate clearly with us about this. They cited reasons for doing so, but made little attempt to overcome them. We were then told by the chief of staff and another member of admin that the teaching service was not going away. And then another day later, uh, the compliance officer told us that in fact, it was indeed over. We haven't even been able to get clarity on whether we should report to work from day to day. Budgetary restraints are cited as one of the reasons we can't have a teaching service, but it's already paid for by the residency. Many of the brilliant folks I work with have many ideas on how to improve things. We're frequently accused of complaining without solving problems, but again, don't listen to that. We've offered ideas and solutions over and over, but with the exception of a few folks, we don't get any kind of collaborative response or good faith effort to work together from leadership. We work within this dysfunctional system every day just to keep things moving. Over the time I've worked at RMCH, I've unfortunately come to the conclusion that administration does not have an interest in solving problems, and the plan seems to be to run the hospital out of business, which explains why those of us who are so dedicated to it are routinely obstructed, targeted, and treated with disrespect and not paid, instead of thanked in attempts to retain us. We recently heard from a member of management that the plan is to turn RMCH into a critical access hospital, which would severely limit the services it's able to provide to the community. All of this was then swiftly denied by administration and we were told not to talk about it. But why? Why are the stakeholders, the hospital staff, the community not being included in these decisions? Why can't we get clear answers about the plan? Many of the staff who left or are planning to leave here have done so because they don't believe there's any path forward with this administration. I'm generally irrationally optimistic. I tend to believe in the good in others, and for a while it was hard for me to believe that there was anyone who couldn't be reached with a combination of kindness and reasonableness. But admin's behavior is convincing me otherwise. We want to work with them, but it doesn't seem like they want to work with us. So I'm forced to conclude we need a change in leadership. We need leadership who's committed to patients, to the people of McKinley County, who's engaged and dedicated to solving problems and working with our valuable staff to support and retain them and give them the supplies they need to provide excellent patient care. Thank you. Thank you for that. Connie has a few questions from the audience, uh, one which I think you can answer and then two for Dr. Putnam. Yes, so um, the one question that we do have is um, who owns the hospitals and clinics, not the buildings, but the actual business, who's ultimately accountable for its function? So I think um, some other, Kathy, you may, Dr. Mezos, the doctors Mezos may know better than me, but I believe that the um, ultimate um, person or the ultimate entity that is responsible is the board of trustees. Is that, yes. Um, so, 
And um, so, and in terms of owning the physical plant, the clinics are, the hospital itself is owned by the county, and the county is the one that holds the lease. And so that, that is their leverage over the hospital and the board of um, trustees. And the, um, and I actually am not sure who owns the clinics, but those are a separate, um, that's a separate physical plant. We do have a few questions for Dr. Putnam. A lot of them sort of fall under um, a few different themes. So here's a good question. Um, so we've heard a lot of people talk about a lack of trust with the administration during this town hall and over the last several months. And this is trust between the staff and administration and between the community and administration. And so we have a lot of firsthand accounts that say the administration is just not willing to listen. So what do you think that this administration needs to do to repair that trust? And what do you think, um, how do you think a, a hospital, a rural hospital administration what are the qualities that you think um, engender that trust in a community and staff? Tension, and if it's used correctly, there's creative tension between administration and physicians. You can't, and, and, and nursing staff and hospital staff, you can't always do what administration wants. You cannot always do what the clinical staff wants. There's this balance that, that, that really helps to make it worthwhile. Um, I've been accused of any number of different forms of evil um, over my my career and some of it from administration, you've got to be willing to take the shots. You've got to stand there and say, yes, I understand what you're saying. I, I know what you're dealing with, but help me understand. And a lot of times I could not fix it, but I needed to know where people were frustrated. So, so that's generally one of the things. There's a CEO, um, a rural CEO certification program, and we put physicians or we put uh, CEOs through that. Um, to help them understand what they learned in their master's program or what they may have learned as a vice president somewhere, a director somewhere, is not what it takes to be a CEO. You've got to be really part of the community. Uh, I am a big believer in that. You've got to have a skill set. You've got to understand the rules, regulations, resources that are available, and things of that nature. But, but for a hospital really to succeed, you've got to have that willingness to be at a basketball game or be at a football game or be out shopping and have someone from the community stop you and say, hey, I'm really disappointed to hear this or I really am concerned about that and be able to feel those. You, you've got to be part of it. My, my general philosophy is you, and what I tell a lot of hospital CEOs is there's a real value in being part of the community. And I think several of the people that have spoken uh, today feel that part of being part of the community. It's, it's, a, it's a glorious thing um, to mourn with the community when, when you lose someone, um, to celebrate when there's a graduation or a, or a wedding, um, you know, and, and being part of the community. You live and die with it, you become part of it. I, I think that's, that's a big piece um, that I encourage leaders to do, but I will tell you it's hard. Um, anytime you're in a position of administration, people will take shots at you on a regular basis and just have to feel them and, and keep going. Um, there's certain things that you want to be transparent about and tell people what's going on, but it's difficult to do all of that, um, especially as complex as it is in healthcare. Um, but I think that's a piece of it, um, being part of it, but then also taking advantage of what federal programs are out there and what funding streams and what resources you can get from other institutions. And, and I think I think some of the discussion you, you talk about the uh, administrative um, leadership, the consultants that are in right now, 
they've probably got some good things to offer, some buying contracts, some some agreements, some financial things, especially given our supply chain challenges that we're facing. I, I don't know this for sure, but they may have some good things to offer. It's just taking what good things they have and then adding it to the community. I, I have to tell you also, I'm really impressed with the people that have spoken um, and how committed they are to being part of a solution to help the hospital thrive. So I think there's a lot of things to work with, but it's just how to get there. I don't know if that answered your question, but those are some thoughts I have after listening to all the people that, that have spoken and, and what it takes to, to get your hospital to be successful. Um, I, think, I think that does answer the question. Um, and then I think that the other, so the other, I've actually gone three or four questions um, on this theme, but so here's a question. Um, so this, so JP um, Phillips from our community says, I truly believe that RMCH can rebuild trust and increase revenue with new leadership and a more representative board, but I'm concerned there's not enough cash on hand or current revenue to avoid bankruptcy and closure before that happens. So as you, um, Remember that we have a $9.4 million deficit for this year. Um, how can we identify and bring in funds to keep us afloat while we rebuild? Um, is there any money from the federal government to help with that? And how does a rural hospital make it financially in the time of COVID? Fall back more on my EMT background than my administrative background. As an EMT, and you go onto a scene and a patient's having a difficult situation, you say, what is killing my patient now? airway breathing and circulation, what, what is going on? Whether, whether they need to change their diet or whether they need to do something else long-term, there's some long-term fixes likely to go on, but what is the crisis situation? So I think dealing with that financial issue um, is really important. There's been interesting hospital financials in the time of COVID. There's been additional funding coming from the federal government. There's been advanced payments from Medicare. So it's really difficult to understand where a hospital's financials are exactly, unless you're really in it. Um, I think securing funding, whether it's it's loans to be able to get through or additional funding from the state or federal resources. I wish I could tell you there were, were ready federal resources and you tap into this fund and you apply for it and you get it. It's not always that way. Um, there's, there's no big pot of cash right now for that. Um, that will be like my hospital's in trouble how do i get cash there's a lot of different grant programs and things like that you can tap into but they're for specific things so i think dealing with that financial issue there's a lot of people that that can say all right here's how to get the funding to be able to get you through this and i think that's important because you've got to have that financial stability to be able to make the next steps okay thank you dr putnam um we have a question what is the standard for financial transparency with rural hospital CEOs and hospital boards. And I guess more generally, the, um, we can ask the question, what is the standard for transparency for the board in general? So for example, our board of trustees currently, when a person applies, um, the, the selection process is completely opaque to the public. And so the, if the community has been advocating for more, um, more, um, more of a say in that process, for example, having um, 
you know, active interviews with the community and input for different candidates. Um, what is this, what would you consider the standard for transparency for that process and, and for the finances of the hospital? It really is, um, you know, the standard for a 501c3, a not-for-profit hospital, is to produce a 990. Uh, you generally get that 18 months after the 12, 12 to 18 months, kind of a close of the year that it becomes, um, it goes through all the steps and, um, and you get what the hospital made, what they lost, what their current assets are, what their liabilities, their loans, uh, you know, key payments and things like that. So, so that standard is there. Uh, how much more the, the board wants to share, um, you know, is kind of up to each and every board. Um, I, I don't know that there's a whole lot of value in, in making the monthly financials available to the public as a whole. There's, there's a lot of challenges with that um, because they, they haven't gone through the audit process and, and different things like that. Now, with regard to the board members, uh, 501c3 boards are self generally self um, appointings so it's what serves the mission of the community best um, and and what goes on I I do think there is a, a real value especially when the community wants to be part of the board to be able to you know have members go through the process and and, and be part of it I think small community hospitals with the best boards are people that want to see the hospital thrive. You know, if, if you've got people on there that want to see the hospital thrive, you can buy the other expertise, financial expertise or healthcare expertise, but wanting to see the hospital thrive and knowing that my family is going to be taken care of at this hospital, that's generally the best thing for a board member. And so as, as I recommend people putting them on the board, I, you know, you. You don't want a one-issue board member. You don't want someone, I want Dr. So-and-so fired because Dr. So-and-so did a terrible job for me. Um, or I want my daughter hired um, or something like that. You want people that say, how do we make this community stronger? How do we make the hospital a better part of it? Um, and long-term commitment and willing to be open and listen and 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 be part of it long-term is the best thing. I, I don't know how to get boards to do that at times it can be a challenge, but that's that's really what I think you need to be a good board member. Thank you for that. I have, um, I think our, our community is asking some really great questions. So we have a question about the one-star CMS rating. So the one-star CMS rating is concerning, um, and it, we um, want to know how long, how difficult is it to recover from that? And what is our way forward? And after that, how long will it take to increase Medicare Medicaid payments after recovery of that rating? With Ashley in the audience, I'm, I'm, I, I will struggle to answer any quality question knowing she's uh, a better expert at it than I am. Um, it will take a while. I think you put a long-term solution on this. You, you've got to get out of the one star quickly, and that really is the trust of it. Uh, the, the questions, do you recommend your local hospital? CMS will look at how many people that live in the zip codes, that's the catchment area, and how many go someplace else for care. Um, that's the kind of thing you have to, so quality ties hand in hand with financial success. Um, the quality piece, and I, I will let Ashley kind of step on this one as well. It's not how good this doctor and this nurse are at this point in time. It really is how good are you 24 seven? 
And that is a system of care. It really becomes better when you've got good people doing good work, but it's how good you are at midnight tonight, not how good you are at, at noon on Tuesday. Uh, it really is creating a system and that is the physicians, the nurses, administration working together. How do we make sure this patient gets the best care every time, every single time? And that continuity is what quality is. I can depend on it happening. Um, that just, that takes a lot of work that doesn't happen overnight. Um, but that's key to building the trust. Thank you. Um, another question about rebuilding trust with staff. So a question, this question says, Dr. Richmond stated that some of the staff have not been paid for months and that they often feel unsupported, that they don't have the supplies they need. And many staff members have spoken up and said that they feel that the relationship with the administration is adversarial and unproductive. So as someone who's led a large organization with many staff in this way who pays a mind to quality, how do you build a culture of safety and how do you build that collaboration with your staff uh, um, and how do you build that trust? Let me address the supplies issue. I think right now we're dealing with supply chain issues throughout every hospital in the country. All of a sudden you've got plenty of this item and now you can't get it. So I, I can't tell you how much of it's tied to the national supply chain challenges. Um, but I think the trust is communication. I really think it's it's listening to, I couldn't solve all the problems that people had, um, but I needed to know them and I needed to hear them. And I think that's kind of the um, creating that, that two-way communication um, and hearing what's going on, I think is a really big part of it. Um, you know, and, and having good people that want to take good care of patients uh, is really important, but how do we how do we do this together and how do we do it better together? is the question. Um, but I think administration has to listen. I, I will tell you, leaning on the COVID equity task force, one of the things that we learned is it cannot be top down. Um, we've got a challenge with people trusting what's going on with COVID. We've got a people, people trusting what's happening by any agency. The CDC says this is what you should do and people doubt that. Uh, we learned a lot from the National Weather Service that it is not, well, National Weather Service has the answers, but they've worked hard over the last 30 years really to build a line of communication that's two-way communication. And that's how they've built up trust over the years. And I, I think that's key of any leadership. You may, as a leader, think you've got the answers and know all the answers to all the questions, but you've got to hear the people dealing with it on the front line. Uh, that's my advice to any any healthcare administrator. You've got to sit there and the best meetings I've had is when people came in just taking one shot after another at me and you know at the end of it they they didn't like my answers but they respected the fact that I sat and listened to them. Thank you. Um, we have one comment. We have someone who um, says that from um, who says our quality challenges that factor into the CMS rating are generally patient experience related. Um, this is someone who wishes to remain anonymous, but who has some knowledge of the um, of that rating. Um, and what this person says is that a huge a huge part of that is community trust and the need to rebuild that. So sort of reiterating the importance of community trust. Um, an excellent question here. So we are talking again about the $9.4 million deficit 
um, with RMCH, the lack of trust to staff leaving. Actually, I'll, I'll ask the part about the $9.4 million deficit first. So the question is, what do you think led this hospital into this $9.4 million deficit? And what, um, you know, what is this kind of deficit at this size rural hospital typical? Because that seems to be a lot of money. It is a lot of money, but it's hard to tell in, and put in perspective of, of what that really means. Um, I've been CEO of hospitals that have lost money, and it's it's gut wrenching. It, it's it's hard to it's hard to take that, and and you sit and you wonder, can we turn this around? What does it take to become, you know, financially viable? Because without being financially viable, you can't continue the mission of the organization. And as a leader, that pressure just weighs on you every day. You wake up and say, all right, should I? Should I cut the quality of the toilet paper? What? How, how can we do this um, and, and be successful? It is concerning. It depends on how much in cash reserves there are. It, some of it depends on how much the community is willing to step up on a short term. Is it a is it a short term problem caused by one or another minor issue, or is it long term that that requires just a volume? I, I will tell you. The hospitals that have failed, when I talk about one closing every three weeks, um, not one has the, that I've seen has, has not been because it's a lack of trust in the community. The people that can go someplace else for care, go someplace else for care. It, it always stems to that. that. To me, that's more important than the discount you get off toilet paper or bandages or anything else. Um, how do you get that trust and how do we make the people in Gallup and the region see that as their hospital? Um, that's more important than, than I think anything else. Um, but it is, I mean, that's a big loss. You, you're probably talking about a 10% loss where most hospitals need to see a two and a half to three and a half percent positive margin to be sustainable year after year. And then maybe two more questions. Um, so we'll talk this this question is with the current situation at rmch the lack of trust staff leaving 9.4 million dollar deficit one star cms rating what are the chances that this critical hospital shuts down and maybe this is a question for anybody on zoom or if anybody in the community has any thoughts and wants to talk about that but if this scenario happens if our hospital were to close how detrimental would that be to the community Based on the comments I've heard, you guys care about your community and you care about keeping the hospital viable. That, that's more valuable than you can imagine. When apathy sets in and people say, well, that's not a good hospital, it'd be better off it's closed, that's when you're really, really, really in trouble. Um, you've got people that care. Um, and the physicians know when you've got a patient that fights, the patient that wants to get better, the patient that wants to follow your advice, they can survive, but the one that's given up and given up hope, that's the challenge. But you've got good people in the community that wanna see it survive, you wanna see it thrive. Uh, I, I think that's more valuable than, than what you can imagine. Once a hospital closes, it's very difficult to reopen it. Um, it's just really, it's, it's better to keep it going and keep it, keep it operational than it is to start it again as a phoenix from the ashes. I think there may be some hard decisions that need to be made 
Um, the hospital I ran in Indiana and Illinois were critical access hospitals. Um, that can, that kind of change can, and sometimes it takes that level of change to say this is what's going on and this is part of our plan to make it better and stronger. Um, that is not necessarily a bad thing. It's just a change. And I think you have to kind of look at that as a possibility and maybe some other programs like federally qualified health centers, but it may take some hard decisions um, to, to continue and to be viable. But I, I think, you know, that creating that plan to move forward, this is what we can be like and creating that vision is what's important to galvanize the community. But you've got great people that are committed. I, I saw that tonight, today. I have a comment from Fran Palachuk, who's one of our city councilor districts, and she says she appreciates your speaking to give us some perspective from the administrative side, which is very important. So thank you. Um, I will just open up. Does anyone have any other questions for Mr. Putman or any comments, particularly like, you know, if you have any thoughts about what it would mean if this hospital were to close? Would love to hear what you would have to say. Yes. My name is Pat Sheely. I moved here in, in 93. I worked at uh, GIMC for over 20 years, and quite a few years before that, I decided I was gonna stay in Gallup. I liked it here. So I bought a house, and I'm retired, and I'm here. And this has become very personal for me in the last week. I saw my doctor in October, and I, she put in a referral for me. No response, and I talked with her, and so she put in a referral in Albuquerque. Has anybody gone to Albuquerque this past week? It takes four hours, and I almost missed the appointment. And because of that, I had to have an, well, they saw me, that was good. But then I had to go back on Friday again. And I'm gonna have more appointments in Albuquerque. So that's what's gonna happen to us. We're not gonna be able to have care here because it's not available. And it's not because I choose to go to Albuquerque. I chose to go to RMCH for the referral, but they could not provide it. So it's really important to the community that the hospital stay open and that it provide the range of care that it has in the past. Thank you. Okay. I'm uh, Chris Hoover. I'm the uh, urologist um, in the county here. Um, I just want to, uh, real quick, just just uh, feed off of that. Um, it's not just the the range of care, right? It's not even referral for specialty care. We're losing our family medicine doctors. That's the primary care, right? We won't even have people to give us referrals. I think. Um, it's so just, you know, so, something to worry about, I guess. Um, I have a community member in the chat who says, um, aside from all the issues around medical care, if this hospital closes, we will lose 500 jobs. All of your home values will drop as those people seek jobs elsewhere. The tax base will reduce substantially, and we will lose a significant portion of our economy. Our, our community will become a ghost town. So that is one of the other consequences that is possible from the closure of this hospital, or if the, if the hospital were to close. Um, I do also have, um, 
Dr. Adra Andrade has a little statement here that I think that she would like us to read. So this is Dr. Adra Andrade, family physician in Gallup for over 18 years. First, it's an absolute honor to practice medicine and care for patients in this community. It's an also an honor and privilege to practice medicine with brilliant and dedicated colleagues and our incredibly hardworking staff. I don't need to belabor the point that we are incredibly worried about the future viability and success of RMCH, our clinic's ability to provide care for our patients, and the viability of our residency program. We understand that there are overwhelming financial challenges. We also know that there are possible solutions, creative ideas waiting to be tapped into. It will be impossible without transparent communication and respect from administration. We don't currently have those, and if they are not possible with current administration, then we absolutely need a change. We need an administration present and committed to the community to do the hard work of working with us all on a daily basis. Yeah, Dr. Andrade. And then um, Patricia Hernandez asks whether the Board of Commissioners have a responsibility to provide care to the community. Um, which maybe is a good segue into what our asks are. So um, I will just hold for a second. If any, does anybody else want to speak their piece? I'm Pam Yardley, uh, retired, longtime educator. Like Pat, I, came, I thought I was coming here for two years, and I don't know when the two years are up, but I came here in 1988. I bought a house here, too. So... Um, but as a longtime educator, as you well know, we're having trouble attracting teachers here. And I know it's, it's a problem elsewhere also, but if I was a young person with young children, would I want to teach here because there's no health care for us? I don't think I would. If I was going to start a business, would I come here? Probably not. We can't be complacent with this. Um, from a financial standpoint for the whole community. Gallup is such a unique community, and do we have issues? Of course we do, but we're a pretty close community, and I discussed this with Dr. Lauber. One of the best things about Gallup is people know each other, and they're ready to help each other, but it's also sometimes one of the worst because they all know your business. <laughs> and it's just a very unique culturally community and we deserve better treatment than we've been treated when we've gone to the board meetings when we've gone to the county commissioners meetings we've have not been treated well and we've been treated like we are glonies we've been treated like we're idiots and that if we if they ignore us we'll go away we can't afford to go away Um, I have to apologize to Fran Palachek. You had a really great comment, and then the account that I was reading your comment from um, shut down. So, um, but if you, um, if we can reach out to you and make that a comment available um, on social media. Um, so I have a couple questions. Um, well, maybe one more question for um, Dr. Putnam, and then I will talk about whether the county commissioners are actually responsible for our health care. So Dr. Putnam, just one, maybe one more question for you. Do you think we have any hope? And if we do have hope, what is it going to take? What, should the, what does the community need to do? What should we be asking for 
immediately to help us get us on, back on the path to financial health? Well, I'll, I'll go back to what I said earlier. As long as, as long as you've got good people willing to stand up and support the hospital and, and work toward a better future and work toward um, making the hospital thrive and making it my hospital and getting more people to realize we need this and bring the community together to do that. And I, there's, a, there's a thousand ways to do that, but you've got the core of it right there. I don't know the political structure um, and, and how it how it goes about getting that, but more people that want to be part of the hospital thriving um, and keeping good nurses and keeping good physicians and getting people to, to not give up on the hospital is the biggest thing. Once apathy sets in, then, then it becomes so difficult. But you guys are far from apathy at this point in time. Um, I will tell you it's a long road. It's a long road to move a one-star hospital to a five-star hospital, but it can be done. And it, I think I think it can be done in a rural area easier than it can be done in an urban area, especially for a community that has strong community spirit. And and you get the conversation going around the dinner table. What do we need to do to have a good healthcare system in the community? How do we need to to do that? Making that part of getting getting the public radio getting getting media involved and what does it take to make a hospital thrive? Looking at the hospitals in the region that are community hospitals that are thriving as answers um, and having that be a discussion that can't be ignored is probably more uh, valuable than what you realize. And and I'm I'm a positive person as opposed to you know, beating up what's happened in the past, like what do we need to do to look forward? Um, and I, I think you've got this wonderful thing about education and what you do with the residency program and other aspects of education uh, looking forward. And, and what legacy do we leave to our children in the next generation is always a good discussion. Okay. I do want to just make sure, put out there one more question. Um, I don't think this is probably more a question that the community is going to have to work together on. But it was indicated last year that RMCH has about 73% of its patient population is Native American. Understanding that RMCH is not on the reservation, it has nonprofit status. So can a tribe provide input and speak on behalf of its citizens who choose to get services from RMCH? And if so, what official capacities are available? Um, I expect that this is a very important question and probably is one that we need to um, advocate for um, to the board of directors, a board of trustees. Um, I don't, Dr. Putnam. If you, I, I know that you, I don't know that you have any experience in tribal relations, there's, but there's um, this, yeah. This challenging issue between Indian Health Service, uh, some of the things with the nation and and with the federal office of rural health policy. You know, it's what falls under rural. What is that? I, I think there's synergy that can happen. I think there's, there's voice that can happen um, from, uh, from the tribe itself that, that can be helpful. But, but it goes back to that point of any, anybody that has a voice, anybody that can be part of the discussion is pretty powerful. And, and how do we make it better? And how do we make it better together? Um, adding one more voice to that, and it's, especially if it's a coordinated voice, can be very, very important. You know, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll also, I haven't made a pitch for the local employers. The local employers have a vested interest in the hospital being successful. Now they all, they all will tell you that they pay too much for healthcare, and, and I get that, I understand that. But 
but they want to see it survive. They want to see it there because their businesses really depend on it. So engaging that voice is important as well. Thank you so much, Dr. Putnam. We really so much appreciate your expertise and your, um, your voice of expertise and hope. Um, I want to go back to the last question. Oh, yes, a lot. I do want to go back to this question. Are the county commissioners responsible for providing health care? Um, they're not directly, obviously. But I will make the point that um, Robert Baca did run on a promise that he was going to find out what was going on at the hospital to investigate what was going on and why people were leaving last year when um, Conejo was there. And you know, it should seem that he sh we should hold him to that promise now. Um, I think our county commissioners do have some leverage. They do own the, they are responsible for the lease on the hospital and they are able to leverage some of their influence over the CHC contract. So, you know, I, I don't think we're here proposing any very specific recommendations, but I think it's pretty clear that the current administration does not have the trust of the staff, does not trust, have the trust of the community, and we need a leadership change. So what we do think that the county commissioners can do is to leverage their influence to provide an exit for the current leadership at RMCH Hospital, which no longer has the trust of the staff or community, and work on ways to rebuild that trust between the institution and the community, the institution and the staff. And so our ask, to, our, so our ask will be today um, is simply, a, you know, there, there are cards in the back, and the cards basically ask the county commissioners to, um, to facilitate an exit for the management part, portion of um, the Community Health Corporation and um, to hold them accountable for the health care that they provide for the community. So I think that's what the county commissioners um, really are able to do. So that is our, the community, our community's ask to the county commissioners. We also have an ask for the Community Health Corporation. Um, so Dr. Putnam did talk about, you know, that these companies do have a lot of wisdom and a lot of things to, you know, to that, that can help institutions like ours. But it's very clear that the management portion of this contract is not working out. So we do want to make the ask to um, CHC as well to let them know that, you know, this, that this part of their business is not working for this community and we would like to facilitate an exit for that portion of their contract. So there are four cards back there if you, um, you know, as you go up the aisle, um, please pick up all four of those and you can sign those and we will make sure that the county commissioners and CHC get those cards. Um, if any, and um, we will, oh, and if you ha want any more information than the um, page to follow is www.rmchisourhospital.org. Um, right now, it just links to the Facebook page, um, RMCH is Our Hospital. The postcards that we have back there are um, relatively brief, but there will be a more full um, description of specific asks, which include things, uh, which will include um, various things like, you know, support uh, about supporting staff, about making the board more transparent, um, and about making it more community oriented as well. So um, that will go up. Ashley, I think you have another comment? Just to save you guys a whole lot of work. Well, I know Billy Moore. Um, if you guys like my suggestion, my proposal that I made, I do have a final on Wednesday. I can't go to the board meeting. Maybe Billy can present it for me. 
Ashley, just to if I just so that I to reiterate your ask, your ask was um, to say that the management uh, I think management portion of the CHC contract is not working out. We would like to sever that portion of the contract. We would like to see local leadership take um, to le local leadership that we trust. And I think that you specifically um, made the recommendation that Dr. Val Wangler, who is the former CMO at um, and currently is the residency director for the Family Medicine Program and is hugely respected and trusted in our community, be the person to lead this institution out of, um, out of its current state. And Ashley also recommends getting rid of the union. Okay. There were about 100 people in attendance between here and the Zoom call. There are 51 people here, as many as 45 people on the Zoom call. And, um, and very importantly, Tuesday is the, uh, is the um, county commissioner meeting on the third floor of City Hall. So please look at the Facebook page. We'll have information about that. So that is an excellent place at 9 a.m. to make your voices known about your feelings about this hospital. We will also have somebody there to present the cards that we signed today to the commissioners. And there is a hospital board meeting, board of trustees meeting on Wednesday at 1.30 p.m. to 2.30 is going to be the open portion of that meeting. So it is now too late to submit for comment um, for that, but it, um, they have opened it up previously for uh, members who didn't, people who didn't submit comment to, com um, to say something. Um, but if you have any comments or questions, I would recommend going to that. Um, make sure that you bring um, proof of vaccination because this is the, well, because they are requiring it for that particular meeting. Um, oh, sorry, it will be at the RMCH on the second floor in the, in the library. Yeah, and there will also be a Zoom option. I did, that's also available on their website, but we will make it available on our page so everybody is clear about where that is. Anything else? Yep, county commissioner meeting happens monthly, and it's on Tuesday at 9 a.m. This coming Tuesday at 9 a.m., yeah. At the courthouse. Sorry, the courthouse. Third floor. Third floor. Third floor courthouse. Rachel knows everything that goes on in this town. So, and the information will be on the city on the city's website, and on the rmchsrhospital.org website. And masks are required. Thank you guys for attending. Um, if we could, if if you have folks who are attending in person don't mind coming forward, we just want to take a quick picture with some um, with some signs, basically just saying rmchsr hospital because we want to show people that we care. So, okay, it'll just take two minutes. All right. Thank you so much. Yeah,